Okay, James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Morning, everyone. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Pracker. Really good to be with you. Um, I want to take us back. Do you remember what it was like when you were learning how to drive? <laughs> Some laughter already. <laughs> um, all of the the stalling as you figured out when to pull the clutch out, all of the kind of rabbit hopping along the road, leaving your blinker on when it needed to come off. Is this just me or is that, you remember this as well? It was so hard, wasn't it? So hard. There's so much to think about. What do I need to do now? Um, but after a while, when you've been driving for five, ten, whatever, you don't have to think about it anymore. You just do it instinctively, don't you? It's a habit. You don't need to think, you just do. And and that's we do all sorts of things by instinct, right? There's lots of things we do by instinct. So here's the question I want to ask now. For you, what's your instinctive reaction? What do you habitually do when things are going well in your life? What do you do then? You're the kind of person that kicks back and enjoys it? Are you the kind of person who plans ahead and thinks, how can I make this last? Hang on to it for as long as you can. What, what do you do when things are going well for you? On the other hand, what about when things are going badly? What's your instinctive reaction then? Are you the kind of person that tries to fix the problem? Are you the kind of person that gets stressed, that, that panics? What do you do when things are going badly? Here at our church, we've been going through the book of James. James is part of the Bible. It's a letter written by a guy named James. He's Jesus' brother. And he's writing to some people who used to live in Jerusalem, but they've had to flee from the city because of religious persecution. And today we come to actually our last week in James, the last little bit of James. And he talks about this kind of thing, our instincts, what we do when things are going well for us and what we do when things are going badly. As Pip just read through the passage there, you probably noticed there's some tricky things in the passage too, right? Did James really promise healing? That all we need to do is pray and someone will be healed? And if that's the case, why don't we see that more often? And we're going to get to that. 
But before we do, I want us to hear the big thing, the, the, the main thing that this passage is really all about. Here it is. James is telling us today, make prayer your instinctive response. In all the different things that life throws at you, make prayer your instinctive response. You see this really clearly in verse 13. Let me show you verse 13. James writes, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. What do you do when you're in trouble and things aren't going well? And actually, we've seen that's what it's like for the people James is writing this letter to. Yeah, They've had to flee out of their city, Jerusalem, make a new start in a new place. And even in this new place, they're going through various trials. They've got rich people that are oppressing them. What should they do? And what should we do when we face troubles of all kinds? Verse 13 says, pray. Pray to God. Ask him for relief. Ask him to give you endurance. Pray to God. What about when things are going well? When you're happy? What do you do then? And the passage says, sing songs of praise. And not just kind of singing happy songs as an emotional overflow, but it's praise that's directed to God. That is, it's about praying, praying with praise to God, whether you use singing or whether you just use your words. When things are going well, praise God. See that in either situation, whether things are going badly or things are going well, our instinct is to to pray. Ask God for help. Praise God for his provision. Pray. And the question is, why? why? Why ought this be our instinct? It comes from an understanding of, of who God is. What is God like? We've learned a lot about God through James. I just want to take us back to one thing. Right back in chapter 1, James was talking about temptation. And he said, temptation does not come from God. God doesn't tempt us because that's not what he's like. Instead, God's more like a generous father. So let me read these couple of verses from chapter 1 of James. He writes, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. See, what's God like here? He's he's good. He gives good gifts. In fact, every good or perfect gift you have comes from one source, and that is God. He's a Father to us. And he does not change that one moment he looks on you kindly and the next moment he looks on you angrily. God does not change from being this good, generous father. That's why we pray to God. That's why we praise God. A couple of weeks ago, um, my family were watching a nature documentary. And at one point it talked about this bird here. It's a, um, a Philippine eagle. And there were these mum, this mum and their dad, they just had a baby. And I don't know about you, I thought it was pretty ugly looking, but anyway. Um, anyway, when they're, the, when, they're, when they're babies and kind of growing up, these, these eagles are really demanding. Like mum and dad have to go and fly out, find food, bring it back. And all the time, this, this little baby keeps squawking and making this horrible sound so it can get more and more food. Until one day, mum and dad just take off. And baby sits there, squawk, squawk, squawking away. 
but neither parent comes back with any food. And from that point on, the baby eagle has to figure out how to do life on its own. Have you ever felt that that is what God is like for you? Seems like one moment he's there for you, but then suddenly he's not. And you can pray and pray and pray and pray as much as you want, but he's just not answering. He's like the, the eagle, mum and dad. You, you feel like you've been abandoned. You ever felt like that? What we're hearing from the Bible this morning is that God is not like that. And even in those moments when we feel that God has abandoned us, friends, we can know for sure God has told us in his word that he's not what he is like. Instead, God is generous. He gives good gifts. He gives perfect gifts. He's the father who does not abandon us. And he will not change from being like that. Which means we pray. And we praise. And we want to do this instinctively, habitually. Because we know what our God is like. And I reckon... Most of us will hear this, and if we're people who are following Jesus, we'll, we'll want to do this. We want to be instinctive prayers, but the problem is we're just not. Um, you know, things go badly for us and we don't pray. Maybe we don't want to. Maybe we feel like we can fix the problem ourselves. Maybe we're just too stressed to do anything. Or, or, or on the other hand, things go well for us, and then sometimes we, st- we, just still, do- we still don't pray. You know, life is good and we're too busy enjoying it, and so we just forget to praise God and thank him. So I just want to chat about prayer for a few moments. Are you here today? If you're here today and you're someone who follows Jesus, I want to ask you a question. What are your habits of prayer like? Do you pray regularly? Is it your instinctive response in good times or bad? Can I tell you about me for a moment? Um. I reckon that often my prayer life is an indication of how my walk with the Lord is going. That is, there are times when I'm really enjoying living out my faith, where I'm conscious of walking closely with Jesus. And in those times, I find that I'm just more regularly praying. That prayer kind of is, is that instinctive thing for me to do. But there are other times then when I find that the Christian life is hard, often then I'm not praying very much. I don't know if that's the same for you, but it is a constant prod for me to remember to be in prayer, to be an instinctive prayer. Of course, the question is, how do you do it? How do you make prayer instinctive in your life? I don't think there's any silver bullet here, at least none that I'm aware of. Often it just takes time to build up habits. So don't be discouraged if you if you aren't there tomorrow. But I thought maybe, maybe I can give a few ideas that I've found helpful. Maybe they'll be helpful for you as well. How do we become instinctive prayers? Well, firstly, just building that regular habit of prayer into your life. Um, keeping a list of things that you pray through at a particular time every day or so. Thinking, you know, praying for your family, your friends, your, your personal mission, your, your, your church, the mission partners that you know. Just praying through this regularly. And then secondly, also, um, try to remember to pray for things as they come up in the day. Like, like if you're at work and there's a big meeting, pray that you'd be godly in the meeting before you go in. 
maybe, maybe you're on the way to pick up the kids from school or daycare or whatever. Pray, pray for your kids and their future on the way to pick them up. Maybe you get a message from a friend. Before you respond, maybe just, just pray for your friend. Just doing these funny little ways to build prayer into your life will help you become more instinctive and more instinctive prayer because you're just doing it more often. Give you one more idea, one more idea. Um, when we spend time together here at church, we, we'll talk about life and how things are going and we'll often end up um, saying to each other, we do this, don't we? Say, well, I'll pray for you. We, we do that with one another, right? Which is great. Here's my suggestion. Pray with them then and there. Um, don't just say you'll pray with them, but can I pray with you now? Um, or, or if you can't, like because you know, someone's got to go or you've got to look after, go, go, go and do something. But, um, set a reminder on your phone then to remind you in an hour or two when you'll have some time, pray for. That way you actually will pray for them. And it just keeps building up those habits of prayer, of being an instinctive prayer. There's just a couple of ideas. You might find them helpful, you might find them not, I don't know. But, but, but the question I want you all to wrestle with is this one. What will it take for you to become an instinctive prayer? Whatever it is, do that. I want to tell you a, um, a good story, though, before I finish this bit. Um, twice this week, I had people from our church get in touch with me. They wanted to pass on some, some bad news. That's not the good thing. Um, the good thing was, both, for both of them, their instinct was to pray. They told me, here's what's happened. Can you pray for us? It's the right instinct, isn't it? When we know who our God is, prayer is, is the right instinct all the time. And that's really the big thing from this passage. If you walk away today with nothing else, remember this. Make prayer your instinctive response. In good times, in bad times, and any time in between, make prayer your instinctive response. But as we read this passage, there's a big question we all want to ask, isn't there? What about that promise of healing? Doesn't James say that? If we pray, then the sick will be healed. So why don't I see that? Maybe you're even wondering, why can't my prayers do that? To answer this, I think it's going to help us if, if we just walk through the passage a little more slowly, bit verse by verse. Shall we do that? Okay, let's start. Verse 13. In verse 13, we hear about two situations that should lead us to pray. If you're in trouble, what do you do? You pray. If, if you're happy, what do you do? You pray. You praise God. And then at the start of verse 14, we have another situation. Is anyone among you sick? Again, what, what, what do you do here? What should they do? Well, the answer is prayer. Although this time, James says, call the elders to pray. It probably indicates how sick this person is. They're, they're so sick, they can't come to church and have other people pray for them. So the elders need to go to their house. The elders come and, and they pray over them. They anoint them with oil. And that sounds like a strange thing to us, but, but that's a sign of, of setting someone apart for God's care and God's attention. 
And, and then we come to these verses that seem to bring us most of our confusion. So let me read out verses 15 and 16. Right, the elders, they've just prayed over the sick person. And verse 15 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. As we read those couple of verses, I think there are some questions we ought to ask. Like, he talks about praying for the sick, but then brings in some things about sins and being forgiven. Why? In fact, why raise the question of praying for sick people at all in verse 14? Because in verse 13, didn't it talk about praying in times of trouble? And wouldn't sickness just be like any time of trouble? And why call the elders if someone is sick? Why not call a doctor? And why does James go on to talk about Elijah in verse 17 and 18? I think there's an, one answer to all of those questions. Here it is, the reason. James here is not just talking about any regular kind of sickness. James is talking about a sickness that comes as a result of sin. In the Bible, there are at least two kinds of sickness that's, that's spoken about. The first one is, is the kind of sickness that's most often, that we, we experience most often. That is, we live in a world where, that is broken. Uh, we live in a world where there are things like viruses and diseases, and they make us sick. But secondly, sometimes the Bible talks about people getting sick as a result of their sin, of their personal sin or of communal sin, that it is God's discipline on them. So the, 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 the clearest example of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There the Corinthian church has been mistreating the Lord's Supper. Right? Some of them get there early and they eat all the food, they drink all the wine. Others, often the poor people who have to work, get there a bit later and there is nothing left for them. They're mistreating the Lord's Supper. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, it says these words, it says, That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That is, this has happened because of their sin, because of their mistreatment of the Lord's Supper. Now, remember the people that James is writing to here. We've seen throughout the letter there are all sorts of problems, all sorts of sin within the church community. They are people that are hearing what God has to say, but not doing it. They are people who are showing favoritism to the rich and paying little honour to the poor. They're people who are using their, their words, their speech, their, their, their tongues badly. These are people who have not been living out their faith. And that is what James has constantly urged them to, to live out their faith. And so it's no wonder amongst this community, amongst this church, it's no wonder that James asks about sickness. With all this sin going on among you, has any of you fallen sick because of it? 
That's why James says, call the elders, not a doctor. It's not because he thinks medicine is useless. The thing he's worried about is sin. He's worried that, that, that the sickness has come about because of sin. That's why James talks about forgiveness. The sickness and the sin are linked. So also then the healing and forgiveness are linked. And that's why James brings up Elijah. Yes, here's a, an example of prayer being powerful and effective in verse 16, but it's more than that. Look at verse 17 with me. It talks about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. A bit of background, Elijah was a prophet, a prophet in, in Israel. Um, Elijah lived 900 years before James, who's so kind of 2,900 years before us. And he starts being a prophet in a really bad time in Israel. Uh, there's lots of idolatry amongst the people. They've got a king at that time, King Ahab. And King Ahab, is, he, he's someone who does not serve the Lord God. He serves Baal as his God. And because the king does that, then most of the people do that as well. So Elijah prays and then he goes to the king and he says, because of your sin, because of this idolatry, there's going to be no rain. And for three and a half years, there is no rain. And then there's a big event that happens. I won't go into it. We don't have heaps of time now. If you want to, you can check it out for yourselves in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. There's this big event though. And en masse, Israel turned back to God. And because Israel turned back to God and turned away from idolatry, it rains again. Do you see the similarities with, with James here? In, in Elijah, there's drought because of sin, idolatry. In James, there is sickness because of sin. So Elijah says to the people, confess your sins, stop what you're doing, stop the idolatry, come back to God, and when they do, the rain pours. James is saying to the sick person, you need to confess your sin, turn from it, and then your health will be restored. Let me summarize the big thing. The big thing we're seeing here, this is not a promise, friends, of complete healing all the time. James has a specific thing in mind. In this church community, sin abounds. And so James asks, is anyone sick? Because that sickness might just be a result of the sin. And so he says, pray. Pray for forgiveness. Pray for healing. And it will come. So, what does this mean for us? Actually, it might be worth saying first what it does not mean for us. Right. This passage is not saying that every sickness we experience is a result of our sin. Some might be, but by no means is, is every sickness a result of sin. And so this passage is not promising healing for any sickness that we come to. It's a promise of healing for a certain kind of sickness, for a sickness that has come about because of sin. In that case, if that person were to confess their sin, they'll be forgiven and healed. 
So what does this passage mean for us? How should we be shaped by this? Firstly, if you get sick, what should you do? Well, don't assume, don't just assume that your sickness has come about because of sin. We don't know that that's why you're sick. So don't just assume it. But at the same time, if you do fall ill, it might be worth examining yourself, considering your life. Is there some sin that you have not confessed? Is there stuff going on that you've been trying to hide from God and from others? If that's the case, then confess that sin. Then if you, if you were sick because of your sin, you'll be forgiven and healed. But if the sickness was just part of the broken world we live in, you still will be sick. But you will be forgiven. And that is a good thing. What about if you know someone who gets sick? What should you do then? Well, again, don't just assume that they are sick because of some sin in their life. You don't know that, so don't assume that. Instead, just be a friend to them. And practically help if you can, where you can. Encourage this person in their faith and pray for them. But this passage also should shape the way we do community together. Did you notice it's not just the elders who pray for the sick people? But in verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is a sickness that comes from sin and God promises to forgive and heal that once we confess. So the thing to do is to confess sin. Don't hide it. Sin flourishes when it's hidden. But confess sin and pray for each other. Remember, that's got to be our instinctive reaction. Prayer and prayer for one another. Now, even in a church that's our size, we're not a huge church, but even in a church our size, I get that you probably don't want to be like a complete open book with every single person at church here. Which is part of the reason why we do community groups. These are smaller groups of people that meet in the middle of the week, you read the Bible, you pray together, and these are great for developing some of those deeper connections and doing this kind of thing that James is talking about. If you're not in a group and you'd like to be, why don't you come and just tap me on the shoulder? We'll find a group for you. We'll have you ready to go by the start of term three. If you are in one of these groups, let me encourage you Let's, let's be like this. Let's be like what James is talking about here. Where we're open with one another. Able to share what's going on. Even, even, even confessing sin to one another. Not so that we can gossip and have some juicy stuff to talk about. But so that we can pray to God for one another. And that kind of brings us to an end for this James series. That's a wrap. Nearly. I call this series Real Faith because James, he keeps challenging us, doesn't he? Um, Real faith will do what God's word says. Real faith leads to action. Real faith leads us to do good with our lives. So as we end, I just wanted to ask, throughout this series in our community groups and on Sundays here, where has your faith been, been challenged? As we've gone through James, how have you been urged to live out your faith? 
Is it being someone who perseveres during the trials in life and having endurance? Is it in you, you listening to God's word more? Is, is it in you putting God's word into practice in your life? Is it in your speech and how you use words? Is it in your sin and, and, and properly grieving over the sin in your life? Is it in living this life in view of what's to come? Is it about you patiently waiting for the Lord to return? How have you been challenged as we've gone through James? But actually, it's not just about you. It's about how each other is going with this too. See, look at how how James ends. James ends with a problem in verse 19. The problem in verse 19 is that that some people are wandering from the truth. People of faith can wander away from Jesus. That's a problem. And so look at what James says the answer is. I'm going to read verse 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from, the, from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What's the solution to the problem of someone wandering away? That's the person sitting beside you. If one of us wanders from the truth, it's the job of the rest of us to, to lovingly and gently Humbly point that person back to Jesus, to lead that person back to Jesus. James isn't just about how I live out my faith. James is about us doing that together. I love our church. And I hear you guys say that about our church too, which is great. So let's express that love in its fullness. Yes, enjoy being around one another and sharing company with each other. Do that, absolutely. But also, love each other. Love each other enough to live out this life of real faith with one another. Picking each other up when we're doing it rough. Urging each other to keep going when it's hard bringing each other back when we wander away so that all of us together might reach the goal of our faith and seeing the Lord Jesus come back and being with him then. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for the way that you've taught and grown and challenged us through James. Please help us make any changes we need to so that we can live out lives of real and authentic faith, not for our honour so that others would see us and be impressed, but for your glory. And we pray that we would be a church that does this together, caring about each other's faith, caring enough to ask questions, to be involved, to pray for each other. We need your help in this, God. Please lead us to it. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.